Well, do you remember when you were a kid and you would ask questions to your parents, but you were angling for a specific answer? And when your parents responded and they gave you an answer, but it wasn't the one you were hoping for, you just rephrased the questions. Anybody remember that? Like you gave a little bit more creativity to the questions, a little bit more nuance. Maybe you, you threw in a bribe or two in there. And it wasn't that your parents didn't answer you the first time. They did. You just, you wanted a different answer, right? I know I see this uh, with my kids right now. Typically, it's around like watching TV or watching a movie, right? And, and we'll tell the kids like, no, we're not going to do that. And so they don't just stop. Like, I don't know if your kids do this. Like they got a halo around their head, you know, like they don't just stop asking the questions and go read their book, right? My kids, like they, they're a little bit more ambitious than that, a little bit more driven than that. They just rephrase the question a million different ways, right? They say maybe, hey, not a movie. How about a show? Okay. Hey, what if we do some chores first and then we can watch it? It's a good one. Hey, hey, what if, um, what if we watch it together and it's like family time, right? They try to spiritualize it, right? And oftentimes, like they keep asking these questions and my wife and I will interrupt them and we'll just say, hey, no, we said no. And one of my kids, I won't say which one it is, but he, oh, <laughs> I just messed that up. Uh, clip that out, guys. Um, one of my kids will typically respond with, um, <laughs> um, he will say, uh, mom and dad, you're not listening. And, and we'll say, no, no, no. We listen like the, the first hundred questions. You just don't like the answer that we're giving you, right? Now, I tell you that because I don't think we ever grow out of that. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think we do this with God all the time. I do. I ask God questions and I'm looking for a specific answer, a specific answer about the call he's placed on my life or, or other people's lives, or I'm looking for something for my family or for my kids. Like, God, will you please help them stop asking to watch TV? Like I'm looking for a specific answer when I ask my question. And sometimes when God doesn't answer the question how I want him to, I think, God, you don't answer my questions or you're not listening. And the reality is he is listening. And he is answering. He's just giving me an answer I do not like. Like no, or not yet, or something totally different than I was looking for, right? And I tell you all that because that's what we see Habakkuk doing in our passage today. We're at the end of chapter one. And if you, if you weren't here last week, Habakkuk basically has a pattern of, of question and answer between him and God. That's really the whole book. It's a dialogue between him and God. Habakkuk, we talked about this last week, it's different than any other prophetic book. Typically, prophetic books, this is what we have, is, is God giving a word to people through a prophet. Habakkuk is different. What we have is the, word, the, the people through Habakkuk giving a word to God that he's got some questions that reflect the questions of the people, and he's bringing those questions to God. And we saw last week, just a little bit, that he didn't get the answer that he was hoping for. Now, I want to go back to it and, and frame it up because I think it's going to help us as we keep going. So if you have your Bible, chapter 1, verse 5, you can also look on the screen. This was, this was God's response to Habakkuk's first set of questions. Listen to what God says. He says, look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see 
wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? It's not. (laughs) Verse six, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth, the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity goes forth from themselves. God goes on to describe the Babylonians as people who devour nations. And he says, they're coming for your nation of Judah, Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk had some, some questions about the injustices that he was seeing in the people of God and the nation of Judah. Remember we talked about, these aren't just inconveniences, these are injustices. It's not like, hey, Habakkuk is saying, God, it's really bad here, like it's, it's really hot in Phoenix. That's, by the way, anybody see the cloud cover? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's amazing, right? But Habakkuk's just not annoyed by the 110 temperatures. He's not annoyed by like his vacation got cut short. He, he is frustrated because he's seeing the people of God pervert God's law. That's what he says. And so he's seeing people mistreated and God being misrepresented. And he has some questions. Last week, our, our question that we summarized is, God, do you even care? God wants you to do something if you do care. And this is God's response. He says, oh, I am doing something. And what we see as we continue is Habakkuk says, but can you do something different? (laughs) Because this doesn't seem like the best plan. And that's our sermon title today. That's the question we're asking today. Maybe some of you have asked this question even recently in your lives. God, do you know what's best? You see, what Habakkuk is seeing is, the Babylonians, God, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, same group of people. They were known for destroying, it says in the text, devouring nations and people. We're gonna read in a second an imagery of fishing. And some scholars believe that that imagery is really spot on by Habakkuk because the Babylonians would typically invade a city, strip people naked, put hooks in their mouths and connect them to one another. And they were like fish, completely victims, helpless, unable to do anything. And the Babylonians were this ruthless, brutal, wicked people. And Habakkuk is asking, hey, there's some wicked people in my nation. Are you gonna do something? And God says, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this way more wicked people than you to come discipline your country, discipline your people. And you can see why Habakkuk is, is, is asking more questions. And saying, God, are you sure this is the right plan? Are you sure you know what's best? And so really the the broader question, it's not on the screen today, but what what I want to ask is, how do you make sense of God when he doesn't seem to make any sense? This is one of those places, I mean, just to invite you into my week is wrestling with this and wrestling with what we see here. And there's commentators and we, and we have some sense of it. But if you look at the brass tacks of this, this doesn't make sense for the Judean people. And sometimes you, you look at your lives and if you look at the brass tacks of your marriage, it, it doesn't make sense right now. Some of, some of you, you look at the brass tacks of your, your finances, of your relationships, of our world that God patiently awaits and he wants to save. And yet you don't see that happening 
in real time and, and God doesn't really make sense to you. His plan doesn't make sense to you. And if you have it, you will come to that point where you ask, God, how do I make sense of God right now? when everything around me doesn't really make sense. That's where Habakkuk was, and I imagine some of you are today. And so we're gonna look at that together. And so we're gonna keep reading. So track along with me, Habakkuk 1.12 through 17. We're gonna read portions today since it's a lot of text and try to break down what we see God doing in this moment. So look at it with me, Habakkuk 1 verse 12. Habakkuk continues his questions. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof, for discipline. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. So how do you make sense of God when he doesn't seem to make any sense? Here's our first point. As you question God, anchor in the character of God. As you question God, anchor in the character of God. Uh, we, we get more details here. As I mentioned, you, you see these wicked traders, this imagery uh, of fishing with a, a net that, that people are getting rich off of the suffering of other people. He's describing the Babylonians and what he knows about them and what they do to other nations. And so the fact that God is sending them to his nation, he's, he's wrestling with this, all right? And you really see his question summed up in verse 13. Look at that verse. He says, God, you are pure. You can't look at wrong. Yet, why do you idly look at traitors? Why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the righteous? And here's the reality. His question is not that big, okay? I mean, it's just the most consistent, most complex question in all of history. He's asking the same question everyone has asked for all of history. Maybe some of you have asked. Maybe some of your friends are asking. Maybe they were asking during COVID or whatever the case may be, during wars or hurricane that's coming or whatever the case may be. He's asking the same question we've all asked for all of history. It is, if God is good and sovereign, then why is there evil? And specifically, Habakkuk is asking, why is he allowing evil? Why is he seemingly letting evil reign on God's people. And and listen, it's the biggest question in all of history, so we're not going to exhaust it today. But here's two things I want to give you. They're not on the screen, so if you take notes, you can write these things down. Uh, What I want to make the distinction real briefly is allowing evil is different than enacting evil. That in this case, we see God is allowing evil, but that's different than enacting evil. Uh, What I want you to see is that the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, God did not like make them ruthless. God did not make them bad people. God did not make them murderous people. They were like that. 
right? Because of sin and brokenness, they were like light. Their flesh was that evil. Like they were going to these other countries. It wasn't just Judah. Like they were going to other countries. This was their MO. God let them do it. I heard uh, somebody say it this way. It's like in fighting. Like God doesn't throw the punch. God is holy. Habakkuk knows that. God doesn't throw the punch, but he will redirect the punch for a greater purpose. We see Romans 8, right? God works all things together for good. All things good things, bad things, all things for good. We see it in the book of Job, don't we? We see Satan approach God and say, hey, Job is not that great. He's gonna crumble. If I bring some pain and suffering on his life, he's going to crumble. And you, you read Job and you're like, and God says, yeah, go have at it. Now, is God the one who does all the evil? No, but he allows it. God is good. He's not evil, Amen. And that's where we start. If you look at the text, that's where Habakkuk starts. Did you see the way Habakkuk asked God questions? Like read the Bible closely and see with me. Look at verse 12. He calls God Lord. Lord is the sovereign, self-existing, everlasting creator of the universe. Habakkuk had questions like many of you had questions, but he anchors in God's character. He's Lord. He says, my God, he's a personal God. Habakkuk knows what you and I know. God is not a force. He's a father. He's a personal God. My God, Jesus asked the same question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Right, Jesus saw evil, but he still knew God was his God. He still had a personal relationship with God. He knew him as a father, not just some ambiguous force who was doing evil. He anchored in God's character as he asked questions. We see see him call God the Holy One. That means perfect without spot or blemish in his intentions and actions. He, He calls God the rock, the firm foundation. When everything else is shifting sand, God is the rock. So Habakkuk had the similar questions that you and I have, but he has an anchor. His anchor is God's character. Let me submit to you. If you, if you have, you can think of a thousand reasons not to trust God. You can look at experience. You can look at circumstances. And if you start from those places, you will be like a roller coaster at Disney World or Six Flags, whatever theme park you go to. But, but I would submit to you as the people of God, empowered by the spirit of God, We don't start with experience. We don't start with circumstances. We start with the character of God. And that's where Habakkuk starts. Does he still have questions? Yes. Is he anchored in God's character? Yes. Do I have questions as your pastor about some of these things? Yes. Will I line up in heaven and butt out some of you in the line to ask them? Yes. But right now, as a finite human, who believes in an infinite God, I'm gonna anchor in his character, even when my circumstances are a little confusing. So that's what Habakkuk does. That's what we do. And we understand that there's a difference between allowing evil and enacting evil. We also understand that God disciplines the ones he loves, right? We see that in Hebrews chapter 
12. God disciplines the ones he loves and it continues. I'm gonna read a portion of it for you. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love that that comes straight out of God's word. Like God's discipline in Habakkuk's day and our day, it's never pleasant, it's painful. And yet the end result is fruit, right? And so this is not punishment, this is discipline. The nation of Judah, they were believers in God. They had obeyed God. Now they were disobeying God and God brings discipline to them. That's different than punishment. We're gonna see punishment in chapter two and all these five woes, these pronouncements of judgment on the Babylonian people. That's not what this is. This is discipline. Do I like the way God disciplines? Would I have a better way? Yes, and so did Bruce Almighty. Jim Carrey, the great theologian of the 1990s. How'd that work out? He wants to be God. He says, hey, I'm fired. God, you're fired. You don't know what you're doing. And then later in the movie, after he gets to play God for a while, he says, hey, I don't want this job. This is too hard. Like I want out. And it's, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is, do we, do we have questions? Yes. Do I, do I understand why would God discipline them this way? Why would God discipline us this way? And, and the, the reality is, I don't know because I'm not God and I don't want to be him. I, I've tried that. Just like Bruce Almighty, it didn't work out for me either. And so I'm going to anchor in his character when I have questions. So I know you got questions. Are you starting with Lord, my God, Holy One, Rock? Here's my questions. You got to start somewhere. You're going to start with your circumstances or are you going to start with God's character? Here's our second point. Don't assume slow justice means no justice. Don't assume slow justice means no justice. Look at Habakkuk chapter two, those first three verses. This is Habakkuk's response as it continues. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Habakkuk, write this vision down, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, this is justice he's describing. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You see, Habakkuk is, is waiting. Uh, this imagery of a, a watchtower he, he's, he's waiting. He's asked his questions. He got a response that he didn't like. He asked more questions. He, he got some more responses he doesn't necessarily like, but he's saying, God, I'm anchoring in your character. And so I'm gonna wait. I know you are just in your character. So I'm looking for justice in your actions. And I don't see them right now. So I am going to wait. Now, so that's what we just, we need to do. Did you write it down? Wait, amen, let's go home, right? Don't you just love waiting? Like You're not seeing justice in your life right now, like at work, that other person got the promotion instead of you and he's shady. You're not seeing justice in your friendships, like that other friend is like gossiping behind everybody's back. And you, you didn't mean any wrong and yet everybody is mad at you right now. 
wait. Does that help you? Amen, let's go home. I don't like to wait. I don't know about you, but like recently, a little pastoral confession, I always drink coffee out of a Keurig. I thought our coffee lovers would be like, ooh, ah. But recently, I just went to French press. Ooh, ah, that was great. And I mean, I just, it's so much better. Like, I love it. My wife got me a French press like earlier this year and, and I absolutely love it, but it takes longer. Do you know how long it takes? Four minutes. <laughs> yeah, you have to put all the coffee beans in there and like, and it takes four minutes just to soak up all that goodness. And I'm just at four minutes. I'm just like, the Keurig would have had this done in 20 seconds. And I, I don't know, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I don't like to wait. And here's one reason why I don't like to wait. I'm sinful and selfish. Here's another reason I don't like to wait. Is because when I think of waiting, I think of sitting down on the ground, holding my hands, doing absolutely nothing. And I'm an achiever. I'm ambitious. I like to do stuff. When I think about just sitting there and doing nothing, it drives me crazy. Anybody else? When we look at the Bible, that's not the biblical definition of waiting. Right? We see a glimpse of it here. He is on a watchtower. He's on guard. Right? He is alert. You know, like if you've ever seen a watchtower, like they're, they're protecting a lot of things, ships from coming in, all, all these sorts of things. And they're supposed to be on alert. They're supposed to be attentive. They're supposed to be ready for action. You think about waiters at a restaurant, they, they wait on you. Do they sit there and fold their hands? No, they're running around like crazy, serving people, Right? I think one of the reasons I don't like waiting, one of the reasons you don't like waiting is because we have a false assumption of what waiting is. We think it's passive, folding our hands to rest, laziness. And it's not biblically. Biblical waiting is not like waiting in a doctor's office. It's like running a marathon and waiting for the finish line. And you keep running and you know it's coming. It's not there yet. You're waiting, but you're running in that direction. That's biblical waiting. That's biblical waiting in the book of Habakkuk and all of the Bible. And we have to wait on justice sometimes. And Habakkuk had to wait on justice in this case. But I love God says, he says, you are going to have to wait, but it is coming. It is sure. And we see it. In the rest of chapter two, we see pronouncements of judgment on the Babylonians. We see God basically say, yes, I will use the Babylonians who are wicked, but that doesn't mean I won't judge their wickedness. And so the way he, he does that is he, he pronounces these five woes. Woes are just pronounces of judgment. I summarize these for us because it's a lot. And so we're gonna throw that up on the screen and just break these down into categories. As God looks at the, the justice that is coming for the Babylonians, he says, woe to the arrogant. We see that in verses six through eight. He says, woe to the greedy, verses nine through 11. Woe to the violent, verses 12 through 14. Woe to the abusers, verses 15 through 17. Woe to the idolaters, verses 18 through 20. And what you can do is you can read that whole section on your own and you can see all this arrogance, all this greed and violence, all this abusing. At one point, it talks about alcohol and drunkenness, but not just like the Babylonians getting drunk. It talks about 
other people getting drunk because they gave them drink and they stripped them naked. It's talking about manipulation and abuse. It's talking about idolatry and pagan worship. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Judgment, 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 judgment is coming. At the end of chapter two, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Be silent before him. And what we see is a picture of a God of justice that Habakkuk might have wondered, Lord, are you still in your holy temple? There's two questions with that. Lord, are you still here? Do you still see the iniquity, the injustice, the idolatry, the abuse of these people? And God reminds him, I haven't left. I'm still here. I see. Some of you need to be reminded today in the midst of some injustice happening in your life, some pain, some difficulty. Maybe it was when you were a kid and you didn't deserve it. Maybe it's now and it's mind-boggling to you and it's keeping you up at night. You need to know the Lord is still in his holy temple. He sees it. Nothing shocks him. And he's holy. He's just intrinsically in his character and his nature. He has to do something because he, he is holy. And so we see him pronounce these woes, these judgments on the Babylonian people. See, justice was slow, but it was coming. We see it in Daniel chapter six. We see Babylon fall, but it's not just that. We see in Revelation 16 through 18 that justice for all people who are wicked, that God brings justice even if you have to wait for it. You need to know in the economy of God, as you look out and you see sin and you see injustice in your life and in other people's lives, that it will all be punished. It either gets handled at the cross and paid for there or it's paid for in eternity in hell. Nothing goes unpunished. You're like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this in history? Yeah, all of that is punished. And here's what we have to do is we have to reframe this a little bit because I think if you, if you looked at that list, arrogant, greedy, violent, abusers, idolaters, maybe not every one of those things on that list you would qualify for, but some of them like greedy, arrogant. Anybody ever been greedy or arrogant? Anybody ever lied who didn't raise their hand just now? <laughs> right? I mean, some of these things, as I began to summarize them, I'm like, well, God, some of those things like the Judeans probably had in their, their lives too. And some of these things we have in our lives too. And there's a tendency for us to, to look at, well, God, God uses wicked people and we're, he's gonna judge them one day, but we're not really sure when or how and take comfort in that. Like, we don't really like that. We take that as bad news. But what I would submit to you is it's partially good news because you and I are wicked people too. And God is slow in his judgment on us. Amen? I'm thankful that sometimes when I'm arrogant, God doesn't pronounce one of these woes on my head, but he waits. And I think many of us, we operate from this viewpoint that everybody out there on the news, everybody at that other school, everybody at that other church, maybe, like they're evil, but, but God, I'm, you know my intentions. I'm basically good. I have the best interest of everybody. I just sometimes lie and cheat. And we have a tendency to maximize other people's evil and minimize our own. Anybody else? 
I, I think we do this often. Like I do this when I'm driving, right? I, uh, just a little pastoral confession. I know we got some police officers in the room, like earmuffs right now, guys. Um, I, in my life, a few times I've gotten a few tickets. I know. And every time I get a ticket, like, man, it's not that bad. I was just a few miles over the speed limit. I mean, I just kind of rolled through the stop sign, but like, who cares? I didn't murder somebody, right? And like, I just, that's how I view, like it it wasn't really my fault. I mean, there was some other stuff going on. My wife called me, like it was the whole thing. Um, But you best believe when somebody else is driving 90 miles an hour through the HOV lane in and out in a red Tesla, and there's no cops around, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? How could you let this happen, cops? Like, I mean, this is so evil. And like, and you could hear like God saying like, Tim, what about that time you were speeding? We're like, I don't want to talk about that right now. I want justice for everybody else. And I hate it when it's slow for other people, but I love it when it's slow for me. And this is how the human heart works. And this is part of what I believe God is trying to teach Habakkuk. Is that, yeah, justice is slow. Wait on it. We hate that. And yet we love it for us. See, there's some duplicity in that. God uses wicked people. Oh, really? I hate that. Well, you're wicked. Oh, thank you, God. God's slow on justice. Well, like to evil people. Oh, but you're evil. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you. Um, be patient with me. Here's what, we're all evil and God is good and we have questions, but he is sure to bring justice. He's gonna make it all work. And I'm gonna be the front of the line in eternity to ask him the questions of some nuances because I wanna know. But we're gonna see it one day, even if we see dimly now and we trust God and we wait actively, we obey him, we follow him, radical obedience while we wait, but we wait, trust him, not ourselves. Here's the last thing. Follow God as king, not consultant. Follow God as king, not consultant. Look at chapter two, verse four. Go back to that verse. This is the memory verse in your bulletin. If you look at that, this is the verse. It says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about the Babylonians. It is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith. Here's what we know about the Babylonians and the Judeans. They are both evil, The whole reason Habakkuk writes this book, it starts with the evil of his own people, the nation of Judah. Here's what we know about the Babylonians in this exhaustive description of their evil. They are evil also. Here's the distinction. One group is prideful. And one group is full of faith. That's the distinction. Everybody in this room is evil. Are we going to be prideful? Or are we going to be full of faith? Are we going to treat God like a king? Or just a, as a consultant in our pride? I was talking to a guy in our church this week. He's a consultant. And he was telling me, Tim, I love what I do. It's amazing. But sometimes I just, I wrestle with it. Because as a consultant, I can give all this advice, give all these how-tos from vast years of experience, research, and information. I know this works, but as I go to places and I give them this advice, as I'm their consultant, the the best that I, I can do is like, just give that and leave. And they will either do some of it and leave the rest, 
they'll ignore it altogether or I can hope maybe they just do it. And some of us treat God like that in our pride. Like, God, I got some questions about this, about this, about family, about who I should marry, about this conflict. Should I repent to this person or should I hold on to that bitterness? And like, God's like, repent. I mean, I think I made that pretty clear in my word. Like, should I forgive or should I hold the grudge? No, I think you should forgive seven times 70, however much that is. Like, keep forgiving. And you're like, um, thanks, consultant, but I will not take that advice right now. <laughs> and what I would say is you, as you look at Habakkuk, as you look at our lives, God gives some hard answers. Should we keep asking questions? I, I, I did a whole point for 30 minutes last week to tell you you should. Keep asking questions, but at some point, listen, I, I know some of you, you're working through some stuff. You're doubting. You, you have some, this is not hypothetical or historical. This is personal to you. You have some questions. Should you ask your questions? Yes. Do I want this to be a place where you can ask your questions alongside believers in Jesus Christ, anchored in God's character? I love that. That's when we did this series and called it Ask God Anything. I love all that. But at some point you have to choose in pride, am I gonna follow God as a consultant and see what I can take and leave the rest that I do not like or don't understand at the moment and follow myself and essentially make myself king? Or even when I don't understand it, I'm gonna anchor in the character of God. I'm gonna understand that he alone is king and he is Lord and he's in his holy temple and I'm not holy and I'm not in control. And he sees from a, a 30,000 foot view times infinity that I cannot see. And I'm gonna to choose to follow him as king. And I'm gonna obey every part of his word, even the parts I don't like. I, I love in the midst of these woes, these pronouncements of judgment, hidden in there, Ephesians 2, verse 14. Listen to what it says. It's for, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the midst of all these judgments, in the midst of all these judgments, specifically towards a people, the Babylonians, who were searching for their own glory, God says, hey, one day, my glory, is gonna fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. You're gonna take baths in it. Listen, we see a glimpse of his glory right now. Like in the northern lights, in the universe and all the galaxies, we're still spotting on the Hubble telescope. We're like, God made all that. Like that's a reflection of his glory. He's that vast. I remember when my wife and I went to Havasupai Falls. In Arizona, a gym in Arizona, if you've never been, you should go. Sign up like three years from now. It's hard to get in. But I remember seeing pictures of Havasupai Falls before we went, and it was like that blue water fall. Have you ever seen it? And I was like, man, that's going to be amazing when we hike 10 miles down in there, and I can't walk, but that's going to be amazing. And then, like, I got down there, and I didn't realize there's not just Havasupai Falls. There's Navajo Falls. There's Mooney Falls. There's beaver falls. There's all these different types of blue waterfalls. Some of them are like lazy rivers and some of them are like a, a wet and wild, like water park. And God created that. We see glimpses of God's glory, don't we, on this earth? In sunsets, every evening in Phoenix. 
I read one guy who, uh, who said it this way, that as we look at God's sunsets, I mean, he's just like a world-famous artist, <laughs> except he's using the Western sky. And all we have to do, there's no emission. There's no fee. You walk outside and you look up. And did you know that that's a glimpse of the glory of God filling the earth? That one day, his glory will fill the earth like we can't even fathom. And yet here's the thing, God's that glorious. But unlike the Babylonians, to get his glory, every, everybody else doesn't have to suffer. In fact, Philippians chapter two, it says God empties himself of his glory for your sake so that you might be reconciled to him. That's the kind of glorious God we have. He alone is king. There is no one else like him. Amen? He is glorious. And at some point we look at him. You're the one worthy to be king. I'm not, nobody else is. And we trust him and we follow him and we receive what he says and we walk in obedience even when we don't understand it. And he's good even to give up his glory for your good. That's who God is. And that's who we trust. And that's who we follow. And that's who we ask questions. He's good. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for a difficult, really sobering text that we have to wrestle through. God, I thank you that we can do that with the people of God, with the spirit of God, with the word of God. And God, I know that we didn't get all our questions wrapped up in a tight bow just now, but I got, I pray that you would help us to even question our questions at times. And we're looking at so many of the things that are evil and wicked and unjust, and yet we're looking at relationships. We're looking at uh, Havasupai Falls and the Northern Lights and the Grand Canyon and could go on and on about your creation, but also about your people. Why, why, why are people here today who are different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different political parties. And yet they're saying, I wanna love one another. I wanna lock arms with one another for a greater mission to see lost people be found and dead people come alive in Jesus name. And I, I don't understand that either, <laughs> but God, I'm gonna take it as your prophetic and providential plan. And God, I, I know there's some things that that aren't as fun to think about and talk about, to look at too, that exist on the other hand. And I just, I pray that we would be a people that would trust you as King. In our faith, we would trust you as King and not puff up in pride and be our own King. But God, we would submit to your, your goodness and your grace and your sovereignty. And God, that we would be the kind of people that could worship even in the midst of our wrestling because we know that you're good. God, thank you. Thank you for being good. In Jesus' name, amen.